and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does somebody shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. So, Miriam, I'm really glad, first of all, that you agreed to do this, but also just that you wrote about Greg Oden, because I will admit I had not really thought about him that much in a while, and I was, you know, happy to see when I read the story that it seems like he's just in a much better place in his life now than he was a few years ago, and especially kind of at the end of his time to Portland. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. You know, I hadn't originally been aware that he was at Butler, and, you know, I just kept asking myself, like, I wonder how he's feeling. Like, has he accepted what's happened? Um, it takes a lot of courage to start over and do something else. And so I'm like, well, how did he get from A to B? Uh-huh. So how did this first come together? Like, like what, what first gave you the idea? I'm always curious when you, when you, you know, put out a story like this, I'm always curious, like, how did she think of, like, this is somebody that I wanted? Like, wh- like where did it come from that Greg Oden was somebody that you wanted to profile and catch up with and see where he was up, you know, what he was up to? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I would say like 95% of the time I am coming up with the idea and the pitch, but this was the 5% where my editor was like, did you know Greg Oden was at Butler? And um, so I have to credit him, um, Matt Dollinger. And I know, Matt. You know yes, we love Matt. And um, when he said that, I was just like, oh my gosh, my heart just immediately like, you know, felt something because obviously like I watched all of that. I remember all of that. And what occurred to me was like so much time has passed. And I think when I profile somebody, there has to be some sort of journey. There has to be some sort of A to B or, you know, or maybe they got somewhere and it's like, well, how do they get there? There has to be some movement. And like I said, I I think I know it takes a lot of courage to start over and do something else. And so I sort of looked around, I was like, you know, it hasn't really unpacked it with somebody it's sort of like the stencil of what he's been out there is known but what is all the stuff within the stencil is sort of my approach and I was like how do I dignify what he's doing right now and also try to tell the story of how he got there was it a hard sell because I know he doesn't he doesn't really like you said he hasn't really unpacked it he doesn't really do a whole lot of interviews remember a few years ago he was making the rounds on a few podcasts because he was doing something. I don't think this was even really mentioned in the, in the story, but he was doing some like thing. I think that this is before he got to Butler, but he was doing something where he was like helping young athletes with like financial literacy. And like, that was mm. something he was doing for a while. And so I remember listening to a few interviews with him. Maybe this was like, maybe like during COVID. So like 2020 or maybe 2021 that, that, that this was going on, but like, was it kind of a, you know, did, you, did were you able to get to him pretty quickly and be like, hey, like, I want to do this? And were you get, able to get him to kind of sign off on it and agree to actually open up like this the way that he did? Yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised at how, you know, quickly he said yes, you know, because it was through Butler's um, people. But I, I think that while I said yes, like, I want to talk about your journey to get here and ultimately, you know, to find purpose doing Mm -hmm. this. I think like it wasn't until I actually sat down with him did I understand the magnitude of what 
he went through and what the story was going to be. Obviously, like I knew there were really, really hard moments, but I, I just had no idea. And so I think once I got there, it was more of like the understanding of like, this is so much bigger than I thought it was. And it's, it's not just about this one person's journey. It's, it's really about, I think, how we, you know, people in our position mm -hmm. talk about people and, the, and what that does to a person. So it, it just took on so many more themes than when I had originally pitched it to them. I mean, I think he probably appreciated that you didn't want to come into it. I'm assuming you didn't want to go into it being like, hey, this is what the what are the most legendary quote unquote draft busts in NBA history is like, I'm sure I'm sure he's gotten a million like people wanting to interview him and have it be sort of that angle. And I'm sure that's something that he would probably have no interest in. I'll bet he probably appreciated that you were just like, no, I just want to talk about where you're at right now and what you've gone through and kind of do it more on like a human level. Yeah, totally. And I think you know, just them being aware of the kind of work that I do is like, I'm never the type of person to go into a story like that or write something, you know, with that sort right. of frame framing or tone. But I, I actually thought the part that we really started to connect once the interview began was I said, you know, I'm very conscious of, of framing what this part of your life is. Do you even refer to it to yourself as a second act? Like, what would you call it? And he was like, no, it's all one thing. And I think just being sensitive to even just calling it a second act, which is not, you know, as it's not offensive, like the word bust. Um, and that actually really opened up our conversation because then I started to realize that this is he's done the work on himself to where he can talk about those things. And it's not, you know, triggering him in the moment. He has enough distance and big picture bird's eye view understanding to say this is how I frame my life right now I thought it was really interesting when he talked about just how embarrassed he was during those times mm. you know when he was injured when he was going through the injuries and stuff in Portland and then like mm -hmm. when he went back to Indiana he was always just like like the like I think something that really hit me from the piece was when he was like yeah I felt like I was a loser and I was a failure because I had all these injuries and they took me with the number one pick and I never lived up to the promise and you know Kevin Durant went right after me in the draft and like like he he kind of internalized all of that stuff to the point that when he went back to Indiana he was like shocked that when people that he knew saw him on the street they'd be like hey Greg how you doing it's so good to see you and he was like wait people everywhere don't think that I'm just like the biggest loser and the biggest failure ever yeah that I mean it really I mean even hearing you talk about it like my my heart my heart just like aches, you know? Yeah. And when he said that, I just, it really hit me. And I, I really wanted to unpack that image because I think that image is really the metaphor for the entire piece. Um, and that's why you see it so early in the, the piece below the first part, which is like, look at this great thing, this joy. And then also when you get lower, it's like, oh, but he used to feel so ashamed. And shame is an emotion that we don't really talk about in sports a lot, but shame is everywhere in this piece. And, um, you know, I'm a fan of Brene Brown. I myself have, you know, studied her work and studied what it is. And it's literally, you're trying to not be seen. And the image of this seven foot human being trying to hide was, you know, because it is, it is literally impossible. And so I just thought we have to get to the root of the shame to understand how he gets to point B, right? A to B. It, it's so rooted in shame. Totally. That's that that was the really interesting part of it to me, especially like, like like you said, the idea of like he would go around and like try not to be seen. And it's like, 
you're Greg Oden, especially when he was still in Portland. Like, there's not too many, you know, especially like like when there was so much. Because I was I was in high school when they won the draft lottery in 2007, and so it was like I was in high school and like early college when, you know, Odin mania was going on. And like even that first year when he had the, you know, he he missed his whole rookie season with the knee injury, but he was still everywhere. Like he was in all the commercials, he was on all the billboards because they were really hyping him up. I would imagine if he was feeling like oh, I don't want to really be seen in public because I'm so embarrassed that I had this knee surgery and I can't play after they took me with the number one pick. It's probably not easy for him to like go to the store or go out with friends or whatever and not have everybody just be like gawking at him all the time. I mean, that that's kind of the case for a lot of professional athletes, you would think. But like a lot of these guys, you you know, you'd be surprised how easily a lot of them are able to blend in because even though they're like maybe taller than you would expect, mm-hmm. you know, most people mm-hmm. are like for a basketball player, I guess. But for somebody like Greg Oden, like he he was very distinctive looking, and he was also just a so much taller than everybody. And B just he was everywhere. Like his face was everywhere, being a number one pick. So that that had to be kind of hard for him. It's really hard. I think there's the normal hard of just walking through the world at seven feet. Like one quote that didn't make it, um, and he was trying to you know he was trying to. Uh, show humor when he said this, but he's like, you know, if, if you are like me and you are this size, you, three things you can't be big, uh, funky and ugly. And, um, <laughs> he laughs. Right. And then you think about it and you're like, oh, gosh, you know, that's like, something you have to think about every single day. It's it, And he's like, you know, the ugly part that's subjective, whatever sure. people want to think what they want to think, but you, you sort of, you have that framing in general, right? That is, that is your lens. We all have a lens that we walk through the world with and that's his, whether he has a brilliant career or an awful career, right? And then you add all of these things that happen to him. And it's like, it doesn't matter how many people are nice to you. It doesn't matter how many people say like, I'm so sorry that happened. Like, you know, so great to see you look great. When you're ashamed of yourself and you don't like who you are or what your life has become. It's a you thing. And they could say you're the most amazing looking, whatever in the world, it's a you thing. And I think when he bought that house in that, you know, central image that you're talking about, he was like, it just didn't matter because I was convinced that I was a failure. And there were so many points that like, obviously we talked for a very long time. There's lots that couldn't make the piece, but you know, he said to Tammy only like a couple years ago, like, man, I, you know, I really am a bust, like, you know, before he got into coaching. And so I just think that part of him that internalized that word and really felt that way had to do so much inner work to let that go. Yeah. And I mean, the, 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 the bus thing is just really like, and I, and I've always been, you know, the way, you know, when I, you know, now that I cover the league, I, I've always been, you know, in part because of like, you know, stuff like the Greg Oden thing. Like, I've always tried to be careful about not just, like, referring to guys as that. Because, like, you know, you want, you want to talk about, like, the quote-unquote biggest, like, NBA draft busts of all time. Somebody like Kwame Brown, who is, like, the number one guy that people think of when it's, like, number one pick. You know, people think he was a failure. He played in the league for 12 years and made $60 million. That's not really, you know, a, a bust. And, like, I, I still have friends because, obviously, like, you know, I'm in Portland. I cover the Blazers. I have a lot of friends who are Blazer fans. I still have a lot of people in my life who, when the subject of Greg Oden comes up, they are talking about, like, man, what a bust. We should have taken Durant. And I'm just like, uh, you know, he was really good when he was healthy. He just was never able to stay healthy. Right. Well, that's why I, I think um, 
one of the responses to the piece that I was quite happy with was just, it, this is almost like commentary on our industry, right? Uh-huh. Like he's not going to have to walk around the world and feel like he is disappointed and done all these things if we're not framing him in this way, right? Like right. this is a, this is an our industry issue and it's the people screaming on TV and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and because he, he would hear it all the time on TV, you know, is the people, you know, yapping and, oh, he's a bust. And um, it's just there is such a lack of humanity in sports and sports media and sports TV. And, you know, of course, I'm the first person to say like, oh, I hate when people say the media. But really, like, um, we really, I I think, as a culture, I I think we've actually uh, improved in this regard, because the response to this article has been so much compassion and it's not like yeah he was a bust you know like so i do think we've improved in that way which is really like encouraging to see i think it's a lot i think i think i think more and more people are able to differentiate between you know putting everything under the blanket umbrella of exactly the media whereas like i think when most and i you know i i deal with this with a lot of players too and you know players think about the media they're usually thinking about like uh you know skip bayless or whoever just like on tv just screaming and like those guys for the most part the guys who are like on those debate shows they don't like go to games they can just say whatever they want on tv and they never have to face these people whereas Mm -hmm. people like you know in my position as a beat writer or in your position as kind of a feature writer who's going to spend a lot of time with one subject and really get to know them like these are people that you actually have relationships and you know these people that like you know and you just kind of have regular conversations with and they you know you are the media but you, they they don't see you as somebody who's like oh you're just out to burn them or you're just out to right. you know paint them in a certain light on TV or whatever cuz you know w- what we do is not the same thing as what like the people on the debate shows do that we're just like screaming about how the Blazers like this is the new Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan or like they should have taken Durant or w- or whatever any of that stuff was that if you're Greg Oden and you see that like in retrospect, yes, the Portland Trailblazers organization would probably be in a little bit of a different place right now if they had taken Kevin Durant with the number one pick in the 2007 draft. But, like, A, you, you couldn't have known at the time how that was going to go. And B, like, if you're Greg Oden, you see that, you just think, did I do this? Like, did I? Because, again, he, he, he it's not like he, he got to, you know got to the NBA, was as good as he was in college and in high school, got to the NBA, and then just, like, stopped working hard and stopped trying. Like, no, he just, he, his body just kept breaking down. And maybe some of that was kind of easy to see coming, but, you know, some of it was just really bad luck. Yeah, and the fact that he worked so hard to get back and did everything humanly possible to make this work. And there's just, you just cannot control Um, your body. And I just think like, you know, I I think KD, when, when KD said what he said Mm -hmm. in 2016, like, of course, nonsense, like he's not a bust. And that's why I, this just goes back to the framing. I said, I'm not coming here to like, say whether you're a bust or not. That word is not in my lexicon. That's not that I don't care. Like that, that is just not how I approach human beings and how I do my work. I I want to know what it felt like to be in your shoes and I want to know if you're happy now. That that's where I'm coming from, right? Like it's yeah. 
I, I care about the journey. I, I'm trying to put myself in somebody's shoes, right? Like no idea what it feels like to be Greg Oden. He's seven feet, I'm five feet, you know, like it's, <laughs> we have nothing in common in this regard, but I do know what it is like to, you know, abandon the thing you love most and start over and try it again. And, and I think so many people feel enormous compassion for him reading this story because we all know what it's like to feel like we failed. We all know what it's like to walk through the world feeling incredibly insecure. Uh And, um, and so I, I just think how courageous of him to really share his story. 